0: it's going pretty well. How are you doing today?
1: Doing well. So I thought we'd start off with, uh, you know, introducing yourself and telling a little bit about how you got into, uh, cannabis and plant breeding and all that fun stuff.
0: Um, well, shit. I mean, that's a story that, you know, starts way back when, and, you know, um, previous to me even being a teenager. I mean, I, I grew up around this stuff. Um, you know, as a real little kid, I didn't really know what it was. I just kind of figured my dad and all, you know, all of his friends rolled their own cigarettes, you know. Um, and it wasn't until I got a little bit older that I figured out what it was all about. But, you know, being an ADHD kid and for all intents and purposes, what they would uh, label as a uh, screw up, you know, um, I, uh, I got into it pretty early smoking it at like 11 or 12, something like that. And then, you know, being, uh, from out in the sticks, the natural progression was to just find some bag seats and start popping them in the back 40. So, I mean, that's where I got my, uh, my feet wet, but then, you know, I, uh, I started, um, I started helping my older brother with a hydro grow. He did exclusively, you know, clone grows doing that commercial, trying to put down as much weight as possible, you know? And so I learned the commercial side of things from him. And then, um, he got really, really lazy and it got to the point where I was giving him 50% of the harvest and he wasn't even doing anything for any of it. So I I branched off and and started doing my own stuff. And that's when I started playing with, uh, genetics You know, I started reading a lot of books on, uh, on, you know, um, different, different uh, breeding projects, dogs, you know, AKC books on how they breed dogs was one of the first stops that I made. And then um, got into college and I got access to a a database called EBSCO. And that's basically a, a search engine where you can go through and access subscription only academic journal articles. And then once I found that it was just like off and running. Cause at this point we could like start seeing what the scientists had to say about this stuff.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Something that we're uh, still kind of just being able to access still, there's still not a ton of information on the uh, as, as far as cannabis goes on the plant breeding side, there's a ton of information, but specifically cannabis still a little limited, but that's cool. So uh, what kind of varieties did you start growing?
0: So my first ever uh, cross that I did was using a Dutch um, skunk number one crossed with Neville's Hayes. That was the first male. Um, And I crossed it to a clone of Northern Lights number one that's been around the greater Portland metropolitan area here in Oregon for like freaking ever. Um, And that clone was just bulletproof to the environment. But um, it was Kind of plain Jane as far as terpene profiles and everything else. I mean, it was one of the few things that back then would harvest outside around here. So um, I hit it with that male because it was like the most vigorous plant I had ever seen. It had a really tight, you know, um, bud structure on its uh, pollen sacs and whatnot. And the terpene profile on the stock rub was just out of this world, tropical, unlike anything that I uh, had ever grown at that point. Um, you know, back then it was still, you know, we're talking, we're talking like 2010, 2012, there was still a lot of leftover stuff on the market of the old, you know, 90s, 2000 dank bud and stuff like that, you know, and a lot of the, uh, more hashy terpene profiles were around and there was definitely a lot of fruit too, but this one just blew my mind. So I, I knew I had to throw some pollen from it and I crossed it to that, uh, to that Northern Lights number one clone. And that became um, my flagship photo line, Jared's Hayes. Um, And it's it's stayed with me this whole time because I just absolutely love the uplifting effect on it. And yet it's very, very resilient, like it's mom, the Northern Lights number one clone that I uh, used in the project. Nice.
1: Yeah. Northern Lights is making a comeback. I feel like a lot of people are starting to work with it again. So that's pretty cool. Um, I think
0: we're seeing a huge comeback of all the old school strains. I mean, people are getting really sick of the cookies crosses, I think.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and I know people, too, who are working with, like, all kind of old school stuff to make cookies like flour that doesn't have any cookies in it. Um, yeah. A lot of, like, people working with, like, the pre-'98 Bubba and, like, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think I think I love that stuff, too. You know, um, it, it's, it's very very hardy plants very pest disease resistant um unlike a lot of the you know stuff that's being bred these days i mean a lot of people now like, like since they're breeding indoors after several generations like you go to take the stuff outside and it performs very poorly so
0: it's yeah it's you good. know i always uh, refer to that as plants incapable of growing in plant like conditions yeah <laughs> also known as tent princesses and tent queens yep yep you have to yeah to stake them and train them and and, and you know uh, maybe it's just uh maybe it's just that more people are growing now but it seems to me like the uh um occurrence of hermaphrodism that we're seeing is like a lot higher than it used to be you know and and maybe that's because we've got a lot of new growers but i think it might also have something to do with the fact that you know we do have a genetic bottleneck in mainstream cannabis especially among the hype strains and so you got to wonder how many ultra recessive recombinations we're getting. And especially with these strains that are not being stress tested on anything.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I totally think it's, it's, it's a lot of bottlenecking. Um, if you look at, you know, a lot of these growers, they're just taking even just like different cuts of cookies, whatever that actually means. And then just kind of, you know, pollinating with them with whatever. And, just going back and forth and there's, there's no genetic diversity, like I said before. And, and like, now we know about epigenetics and all that too. And so there's really that, I mean, that plays a factor and I don't think people understand, you know, exactly like what, what level that actually plays. And especially too with, with, uh, you know, tent grows and, and indoor grows where it's been illegal for so long. It's, it's kind of people just did with whatever they had, and now we have access to like such a large variety of plants. I mean, all over the world, there's a lot of people doing a lot of land race work and taking plants from, you know, Asia and the middle East and, and, uh, and crossing them into lines, which I've seen, um, here in the North, in the Northeast has been actually very successful. You, you know, we're on the same latitude as a lot of middle, uh, middle Eastern countries and those plants do very well here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. um, You know, my hat's off to all of the uh, guys out there that are breeding, you know, real novel strains. You know, what frustrates me is, you know, it seems like anybody who gets a can of reversal spray, you know, is suddenly a breeder nowadays. And, you know, they're all stuck in this idea that if you take a really good plant and you reverse it, you pollinate another really good plant with it, that you're going to have really, really good plants as offspring. And You know, you and I both know that's just not the case. You know, there are so many things that go into breeding. People ask me questions about breeding and 90% of the questions, the only honest answer I can give them is it depends on so many things, you know, and a lot of times it'll depend on three or four different, you know, factors, you know, but I mean, it's not just as simple as crossing elite with elite. Yep
1: and even population sizes too i mean i I, i've grown out probably like a few hundred auto plants over the last couple years and you know what i've considered is a good plant is probably like i don't know five to ten percent of that so it it takes a lot of looking through just just how plants grow how they react and like like with having these small grows in the past like that that wasn't the case you weren't looking through two 300 plants you were looking through you know 10 packs and yeah so
0: but yeah uh, you know and and i'm not gonna lie one of my favorite plants that i have right now in my uh in my clone arsenal is actually a bag seed that came out of a freaking 50 dollar uh rec ounce here in portland um and there were four seeds that came out of the bottom of it and it's like i had room and it was like okay let's pop them what the hell why not you know, and I wasn't really expecting much. And three of them were, you know, they were okay, you know, kind of garbage by my, uh, my standards, not something I'd really keep around. But one of those four is like the most amazing blueberry plant I've ever grown or smoked or anything. I mean, this, this stuff's got just a Touch of limonene on it, so on the exhale it smells and tastes like artificial blueberry candy, and it's just so smooth, and it's like from bag seed. And then you know you've got this other stuff like you know um, the original Agent Orange by uh, TGA Genetics. You know that stuff was amazing. The problem is, is I bought. Two freaking 10 packs of seeds on two different occasions for way more money than I wanted to part with at the time and didn't get the freaking orange phenotype in any of the plants. You know, so it really just, again, it depends. You know, sometimes it's just luck.
1: Yeah. And that's another thing too is all, most of these varieties are all F1 crosses. People aren't taking a line and working it and, and actually oh, yeah. stabilizing it, which I, I come from the, you know, vegetable breeding world. So and and seed farming. So like if I grow a brandy wine tomato, like it's going to be a brand new wine tomato. It's gonna set fruit at the same time. The growth is going to be the same, the fruit size, taste, you know, shape, color, all that's gonna be basically the same. Some variation, but it's like you know what you're gonna get. Where now, I mean, you pop a 10 pack of seeds and it's like there's three there's like three phenotypes usually. And it's like, I I don't know, as like a commercial grower to me, that, that doesn't work. You know, I need to, I need to know when, when, when is this going to be ready? You know, I can't, I can't be just be like, okay, well, this one pheno is done in 55 days. This other one's done in 70. It's yeah. Yeah.
0: It's crazy to me. Well, you know, there's, there's, you know, not all F ones are created equal to, you know, I mean, in, in the term F one, like, technically it stands for filial generation one. So it's going to be, you know, an F1 is the first cross, you know, when you cross two new parents together. But there's a difference between an F1 between two different cookies crosses, and an F1, a true F1, at least that's how I refer to it, which is, you know, two plants that are completely opposing chemovars in every way they can be and you cross them and you end up with real hybrid vigor you know and you end up with a primarily heterozygous plant in every department now those tend to be very 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 um you know uh uh homogenous as far as expression compared to when you take you know two heterozygous, um, you know, cookies, crosses and cross them together, you know, um, And so you get a little bit, you know, a little bit more of a solid plant on the F1 generation there. Likewise, if you take two IBLs inbred lines and you cross them together, you're going to get something that's much more predictable with a lot less phenotypical variation than you're going to, if you just take two random F1 crosses and cross those together for a new F1 generation. I mean, that's just rolling the dice.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in the vegetable world, it'd be, it'd be an F1 called an F1 hybrid, which would be, there's two inbred lines. They're usually like anywhere from five to, to seven to 11 generations. And there's just enough variation that when you cross them, you get the hybrid vigor, but you, but you know basically what the gene combination is going to be. So it's got that stability and, and it's got that, you know, it, it's stable, you know, exactly what it's going to put out.
0: Yeah. You know, and I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot is to be said for um, predictability in offspring. Um, there again, I've figured out for myself that um, if I am only like trying to stabilize one specific phenotype in a line, that can cause me problems as well, too, because then you know, if I'm too focused on that and I've got tunnel vision, you know, I can end up uh, breeding out some of the recessive traits that might be responsible for things like vigor and resistance and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. And it'll be interesting too what comes out with like gene marking with cannabis out of, in like the next five years. Cause right now yeah. I don't, I, I don't, I really don't know where that is. Um, I mean, you could talk about something like sweet corn or whatever. I mean, they have basically everything is documented they have that so di- dialed in. It's, it's crazy. So, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. we
0: know they're working on it. Um, I ran into a lab that claimed to be able to do some sort of genetic testing to help breeders make, um, make generation selections and whatnot, um, to continue their F lines. But, you know, I don't know how far along they are in, in that process either though.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess maybe this is a good way to segue into, uh, auto flowers and, uh, maybe talk a little bit about those. I know we traded some, uh, auto seeds and I've been very happy with what you've sent me. So maybe we can get, we can get into that.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: <clears throat> so, yeah. yeah.
0: So I mean, you know, the, the auto seeds that I sent you, those were actually my two first auto crosses, Um, is I was just starting to get into, you know, into that realm of things. Um, I was traditionally a photo grower, though, um, and, you know, kind of bought into the hype that autos were all garbage and autos were all junk. And I can tell you for 100% fact that they're not wrong. If you don't know how to grow a plant without stunting it, autos are not for you. They will always perform like crap. Um, and that's been my biggest takeaway from growing autos is they will teach you a ton about cannabis in general and about how to treat those plants the way that they want to be treated. Because they do not like to be beat on the way photo plants, you know, um, have historically been beat on.
1: Yeah, and I'll be a little bit more generous, I guess, than you are. But uh, if you can grow a decent tomato, you can grow a decent auto flower. The problem is, is most canvas growers, not that. I think I really feel the majority of them haven't grown another plant. It's, it's no, they it's, haven't. It's bizarre to me. Um, So when you have another plant uh, or when you have an auto, I feel like it, it behaves like any other plant. And since that's not what people are used to, they don't really, really don't know what to do. They just treat it like it's a, it's like a cannabis plant because they all should be the same apparently. Um, but that's not really the case.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, if you can grow plants, you can grow plants, but you know, with, uh, with photo periods, I mean, especially when you're growing indoors and stuff, I mean, you stunt the plant, you just give it extra veg time, you know, and that makes up for it. You know, I knew one guy that, um, he bragged about how good his harvest was and he pulled down some pretty all right stuff. But the problem is, is he stunted his plants so bad that by the time he got through veg and through flower on this round, it's like, dude, you have been growing the same round for almost a year indoors. Like, I don't care how good it is. Like, that's not like an acceptable timeline here, dude.
1: Yeah, a cannabis is an annual plant. So, you know, there, there is, there is a timetable there that, that, you know, these, these genetics are used to. So,
0: yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, but with the autos, it's like, you know, they start produ- uh, production of florigen, like pretty much fricking immediately, you know? And so everything is super fast paced with, uh, with autos. You don't have Um, The ability to take clone and keep a nice library of clones for every female in in the batch. And then, you know, I mean, you're selecting and everything is like, it's on the fly, you know, Um, and you got to figure the stuff out, you got to do it in a timely manner. And there are no second, second tries with each individual generation, you know, and I have had um, instances where I've had to scrap an entire generation and then go back one and redo my selection. And it sucks, but that's just a part of what, you know, goes into growing and breeding these auto flowers.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's basically how it works with annual vegetable crops. I mean, I do the same thing with cucumbers and squash, which I, you know, do crosses with and working online. So to me, it was kind of like autos almost make more sense. Uh, honestly, and I've been growing them mainly outdoors, so for me it it kind of just runs with the you know how the season works regularly. Um, but I thought we talk a little bit about the two varieties you sent me, which are the Serenity Prayer, and then what was it? Sh- Sherman's Tactics was the other one. Yeah,
0: Sherman's Tactics.
1: Okay. Yeah. Let's start with the Serenity Prayer.
0: Um, so Serenity Prayer, that's a uh, um, amnesia haze um, auto female that was crossed to uh, the anvil by um, Gnome Automatics, formerly known as uh, Mandalorian Genetics. Um, and uh, yeah, that was, that was the first one that I did. And then I used pollen that I saved from that run to hit an OG, a blueberry OG Kush um, automatic cross um, shortly thereafter. Um, of the two, the Serenity Prayer is probably the more uplifting, The um, at least it is for me. I s- can smoke that stuff all day long, but um, big resinous purple uh, purple plant that I absolutely love. Um, not a ton of side branching on the majority of them. It does have some side branching, but the, um, the Sherman's Tactics, It's it grows like a freaking bush.
1: Yeah, I noticed so the the F1s that you gave me, the uh serenity of prayer stayed I, I want to say like two and a half, maybe three feet tall. The the buds were like had a really interesting shape. Like the they're almost they were almost like the flowers like almost like rounded kind of, um, which was different. And then um the Sherman tactics, the F1 from that, those, those plants got like some of them were almost like almost hitting like five feet tall with huge colas, very more open triangular flowers, which here works great because um, yeah. it, we we get so much rain um, and, it, and it gets pretty cool. Um, so the other, unfortunately, Serenity Prayer, I had a lot of bud rot this year. I, I did some crosses in between them like last, last year. I, I did uh, two F2 lines and then I did like crosses in between and I grew everything out to see how it performed. And I definitely am going to keep working with the, with the Sherman's tactics, which is on the F three generation now. And awesome. I also, yeah, I took, and I took a male, I mean, the purple on that plant is, is amazing. And I had one male that was like, even those flowers were like just bright purple from the get go. And I crossed yep. that to my, um, my automated uh, F two fem line. And then I'm going to grow that out next year outside and, and see what that does. Um, I, I, th- I think the terpenes are a little lacking, but um, I, I think that's kind of the case. I've kind of seen that generally in autoflowers. There there are some lines that are really good, but it, but in general, it seems like the terpene profiles are still a little bit, uh haven't really got the diversity of the photos yet.
0: Yeah. You know, um, I find... Uh... I find a lot of fruity terpene profiles, light fruit, um, in pretty much all of the auto flower lines that I've worked with thus far, you know, um, and, you know, the, the level of loud they have a lot of that, you know, from, from what I found has been, um, has been environmentally influenced. Um, they tend to, um, when it gets cold uh, or, or humid or wet or anything, they tend to not be very loud out here in Oregon. But um, when like right now we uh, had a really, really hot spell um, and I harvested a couple of plants about two weeks ago during a heat wave. And so far they've been very loud and have maintained more terpene profiles to them. Um, once I got them dried and in the jar, but um you know, the ones that I cut down today, I don't know if it's because they got rained on or what, but they, they're really sticky, but they just don't be, uh, they, they don't seem to be nearly as uh, as stank as the ones I cut down before. But they're again, you know, they're not clones, so there's really no telling, you know. Yeah. Um, as far as diversity in terpenes though, like, yeah, I really think we need to breed some more, uh, some more volatile terps into these autos.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm working on a couple lines now that are going to be more gassy, more fuel. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Cause I really haven't found that, um, in any of the autoflowers that I've grown, nothing, nothing that that smells like a, like a cam or an OG, like very heavily. You're yeah. right. It's, it's, it's a lot of sweet, uh, fruity kind of terpenes, which are good. Um, but yeah, it just, it doesn't seem like, you know, we've gotten, gotten that diversity in terpenes yet.
0: Well, my photo program has kind of transitioned a little bit. um, And, uh, you know, I've always been really into old school genetics, but um, my next photo run is actually going to be um, a skunk run. And I'm going to try to see what sort of volatile terps I can find on that. pheno hunt i've got 50 seeds that were inbred from the Jaime chiba roadkill skunk line and my plan is is to take that and cross it with a couple of these autos along with you know the photo program that i'm running um and then that'll give me some semi-automatic plants which are fun to play with i encourage you to give those a try if you haven't yet um but then I'll stabilize them into um, full auto variants, and then back cross the lines as needed to the photo parent to see how much volatileness we can get into the terpene profile of these girls.
1: Yeah, that's kind of more or less my plan as well. I have a I have a cut of family jewels that I really like, um, and then I also have my uh, my black hem cut um, that I hunted out that that's an excellent cut. So I'm hoping to take those two and. And, and do two different lines with them and see, see where it goes. But yeah, I haven't, I've done, um, auto to photo crosses before, but I haven't worked with them too much. Um, just enough to do it and be kind of like familiar with it, but nothing super, uh, you know, I didn't, I haven't done a large grow out yet doing that. Okay. So
0: it'll, it'll be well, fun. I, I did some experimenting last summer with, um, a cross that my buddy gifted me, um, and uh, so this one was called Willie Mays Haze, and you can see it on my Springwater Scientific profile. Um, but it was a cross between Auto Daiquiri Lime um, Automatic um, and a uh, um, really, really sativa dominant plant called Mad Viking Haze, which was a cross between Malawi Gold and Bongi Haze. And it had just an obscene flowering period. Um, And so in crossing that with the auto daiquiri lime, it shortened the flowering period a little bit and kind of made it an average between the flowering time of the daiquiri lime, which was, I believe, eight or nine weeks. um, And then the ungodly flowering time of the mad Viking haze. But what was interesting was growing it outside, it actually went into flower quicker than any of the other plants. And it started flower early. And even though it had a longer flower period, I pulled that with my early harvest indicas and it was like a very sativa dominant plant.
1: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I think you actually, you gave me some of those seeds. So I have to, I have to try that. I'm working on a, on a haze photo project too right now. So yeah. I mean, some of those flowering times are like, they are crazy. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah they're, like they're 120 insane.
1: days or something like i can't, like my that's that's the length of my growing season here <laughs> yeah so.
0: i've got some acapulco golden flower right now and it's like yeah we'll be done with this sometime in like
1: 2025
0: yeah <laughs> you know yeah. so yeah no some of them are absolutely insane but um i found that um that by crossing them with an auto line um they start flower early and i think i know why um, you know we treat the autoflowering gene like it's a recessive gene right yeah but what if it's not so my theory is is that um, the autoflowering gene um, or the gene for automatic florigen production is actually a co-dominant gene much like red hair and so it is less dominant and less expressive than photo periodism is <laughs> but it still expresses it just doesn't express at the full extent that it takes to cause auto flowering. but if you take a photo auto hybrid and you let it get really really root bound and stress it just the slightest bit it'll go into full-blown flower on you um and it's i believe due to the fact that it's got one co-dominant fluorogen producing gene that is basically giving the plant a half dose of fluorogen from from sexual maturity um not enough to trigger flower um under you know an 18 hour light cycle or anything like that but makes it so that it responds to the changes in the light cycle earlier and sooner
1: okay yeah so that's like the whole like stalling out that i know people um have talked about so like you'll have a plant that's like it's like almost like it's going into flower and then but you still need to change the light cycle for it to get that that second trigger of florigen to to kind of finishing out the flowering cycle
0: yeah except the thing is with the semi-autos at least the ones that i've grown um you didn't actually get any signs above and beyond pre-flowering you know um and You didn't get any of that unless you dropped the light cycle below 18 hours or they got root bound or stressed.
1: Oh, okay. So it's not like they're starting to flower and then kind of stall out. It's like they're they're not even...
0: No, you can not take really clones flowing. of them and keep clones and do, you know, do all of that stuff with them. Um, and they won't go into flower unless you neglect them. Essentially, you let the clones get all root bound and crap or, you know, the power goes out. If the power goes out, that can throw them into flower. Whereas with the photos, um, you know, they're slow to trigger. So, you know, power goes out for, you know, a day or two. That's not the end of the world.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I've had that happen. So <laughs> as, yeah. long as, as long as it's not more than like a week, you're, you're usually fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, with these, that's not the case with a photo auto hybrid. Um, the power going out is not really a good thing because 24 hours of that and they're like, Oh, Hey, okay. It's time to flower.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I, I definitely am going to grow out that, that Willie Mays haze you gave me now. Cause yeah, here you cannot grow haze outside really. I know some people working on things, um, but it's it's really not doable. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It'd be, it'd be great to 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 do something like that, and and especially if you apply that to kind of not now if you're making true F1 hybrids where you have these two inbred lines, yeah, that you're crossing now you have something where you have a predictable flowering period, which I, that's totally where I'm, I'm trying to go, um, in general. And I think that that's where commercial cannabis is going to end up as far yeah. as seed seed-based varieties. Um, you, you're going to have like you do in the, in the, you know, vegetable world where you have like a, a hybrid corn or a tomato or something like that. And the performance is going to be, you know, completely different than what we're used to.
0: I think. Yeah. You know, what, What they're looking for is they're looking for something that tells them exactly how many days from seed to harvest um, and that is going to be within a day or two of that, you know, um, and feminized.
1: Yep. Yep. That's why I started working with feminized autos like immediately. Um, Yeah. So I've
0: done feminized um, seeds before. It's really, you know, it's not, it's not an issue. I make my own, um, my own reversal solution and all of that. Um, But um, basically the way that I work the fems is I like to inbreed my lines traditionally with males um, and then I'll feminize and do an R1 generation when I've decided that, okay, this is where I want the line to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I've been doing as well. Yeah. I mean, cause as long as it's pretty consistent um, you're not, you're not going to have like a, a ton of variation um, and, and especially with doing autos um, you know, you can, you can inbreed things very quickly, just taking one plant, reversing it and hitting it to another plant. So, you know, having, having like a stable population where you can reverse maybe a couple plants and hit them to another couple plants. Yeah. Um, that way you still have the diversity in the line um, but you, you kind of, you have an idea of, of stability.
0: Yeah. Can we just talk about that for a second though? Like some of these guys, they get really, really upset if you even bring up the idea of using more than two plants and a cross. I know (laughs) they just like, they should never,
1: never grow anything of mine because I never, I don't think I've ever took one plant and hit it to
0: one plant ever. Yeah, that's that's what these guys are doing. They (laughs) think that that's the way that it's supposed to be done. And you know what? There is a time and a place for that. There is. Um, But there is also a thing to be said for genetic diversity. And, you know, unless you are providing an environment to upregulate negative expression, i.e. doing things to purposely harm your crop and harm your plants and harm your overall harvest, like, you're not going to know what plants are carrying resistances to what, except for maybe by accident, you know? So the more plants you eliminate out of your population size, the less likely you are to have resistances in your line, unless you are actively testing for those resistances. So what I do is, you know, um, I pop just a whole bunch of seeds and I like to actually pop, um, Uh, I like to pop seeds in the middle of the winter a lot of times, um, so that I can test lines and stuff like that. Cause I'll wait for it to get like, um, really cold outside and then I'll water everything and then, um, put it outside overnight, right after I've watered it, let everything like freeze to the pot and then, uh, bring them inside and thaw them out with warm water and crap like that. Like I'm sadistic to these plants. Um, I am not nice. And I'll go through and I'll find the stuff that lives. And that's the stuff that I'll make my crosses with. But if I have, you know, four really, really, really resilient plants, there is, and they all fit, you know, the phenotypical expression that I'm going for, I find absolutely no reason to eliminate two of those out of my breeding program.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do a similar thing with autos, um, not as far as the the cold testing, but you know, I'll pop like, or, or I'll germinate, um, you know, like 20, 25 seeds and then pick, if I'm doing a fem cross, I'll pick two females. Um, and I'll, I'll probably stagger that. So I'll do like 20 and 20 and I'll pick two females that I like. I'll reverse those. And then I have the next 20, I'll pick two females that are like the best two that are probably like the most similar and then pollinate those. That way I have some, you know, some amount of diversity, in the population cuz other, otherwise you know you, you do this like one plant to one plant especially in cannabis like th- that's that's why we have all these bottlenecks right now yep. and 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 to bring up the whole you know intersex trait thing that you were talking about before i mean i think that's where that comes from you know you you've just you've bred this plant and bottlenecked it so much it's 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 like trying to reproduce in a way where it can you know maybe get some diversity but because it doesn't even know I don't. Know, I doesn't even know what to do anymore.
0: Yeah, you know, I think I think commercial uh, cultivars have definitely bred out a lot of the uh, genetic diversity, which is why half of them that I put outside won't live. You know, and I live in freaking. I live on the west side of the Cascades in Oregon. It's not the greatest climate in the world for growing stuff outside, but you know what? I managed to do it just fine every freaking year. You know, um, but. I, it never fails. Like somebody will give me something. That's just absolute great newest, greatest fire. And I'll pop a few and throw them outside and they can't even freaking survive. Yeah. They have no resistance.
1: Yeah. And, and it's crazy too. And I, uh, one thing I've started to kind of notice um, and this, this is a big thing with um, you know um, spinach production. So there are different uh, you know, strains of powdery mildew between the East and West coasts. And I've seen these huge giant, beautiful cultivars being grown um, in California and on the West coast. And then, you know, they're, they're, PM resistant, all this. And and you bring them to the East coast and they're like PM magnets and, you know, people are like, ah, oh, what's going on. And, and it really has to do in my opinion with, you know, we have different strains of, you know, powdery and downy mildew and all this. And so, you know, not only is it bad to grow things just inside it's also not good to just grow them you know have have such specific growers to these areas that when you try to bring them into other parts of the you know country or in the world they just they just don't perform as well so you know the more the more we can get outdoors and uh stuff that's you know that's that's a uh, kind of bred for local you know microclimates the better
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, most of the stuff that I have, most of the genetics that I I work, um, they may not have initially been bred outdoors. But if they've been around in my um, in uh, my uh, library for very long, they've done at least one season outdoors. Um, And I've I've had at least one one generation of selection that was done exclusively outdoors with outdoor pressures, you know, And when I have them outdoors, you know, I like to drought them and see how they do and do stuff like that, you know. Um, So, I mean, I think the more we do stuff like that, the more we're going to have resilient, hardy plants that are going to be able to, you know, um, actually like you know, um, provide us with a solid genetic foundation going forward so that maybe we can breed away from, you know, the intersex traits and, you know, breed away from the genetic bottleneck we've gotten ourselves into.
1: Yeah. So, um, what other kind of varieties and projects are you working on?
0: Um, so right now I've been, I've been kind of, um, changing gears a little bit, you know, I'm super ADHD. So, um, you know, I've been uh, stepping away from the photo auto hybrids. I was chasing that um, that down pretty hard and refocusing on old school genetics. Um, my next run, I think, is going to be a, a skunk hunt. And then after that, I've got a massive OG Kush run that I want to do with several different varieties and cultivars. And then um, I want to do a Northern Lights run after that with some different cultivars and crosses of Northern Lights. Um, And so that's what I've got going on on the um, the, uh, cultivation side of things. Um, Those runs are going to include both photos and autos in them. um, And they'll start off as regular seed runs. And then I'll probably duplicate them afterwards um, and do some FEMS. but other than that, uh, I started writing again, um, and I will be uh, hopefully um, published in the next episode of or the next uh, um, issue of Grow Magazine coming up. I've got a, a couple articles that have been accepted for publication, um, and that's been, um, that's been a huge motivator for me here as of late. Um, I was writing, I believe you, uh, you started following me back when I was writing for another online magazine, yeah?
1: um i don't know no idea okay
0: all right well you were you came you you came into the play um or at least on my radar um we started trading seeds right around the time i stepped away from that magazine and then i started uh, a website where i would publish my work at and uh you know all four of my uh readers really appreciated that i think um (laughs) but I got to the point where, uh, you know, it's like, I'm not a tech guy. Like I can, I can write science all day long. You know, um, I specialize in nutrients, anything nutrient related, you know, but, um, I am not a tech support guy. I cannot run a website to save my life. So, you know, these guys came out of the woodwork and they were like, Hey, we'll give you a uh, platform. So, you know, um, yeah, really excited to be writing again. And, uh, you know, um, it's gotten me really interested in, you know, um, a lot of the other stuff that other people have got going on right now. So we'll see where it goes right now. I've got some articles released on, you know, um, understanding your nutrient solutions at a much deeper level. Um, and we'll just see where it goes from there. I'd like to branch off into non-essential nutrients, you know, um, they're kind of the, uh, um, the last frontier of exploring cannabis nutrients and the effects of molecules on cannabis. Um, and so, yeah, different, uh, different uh, compounds like triocontinol, um, which is found in alfalfa. We've got chitosan, which is found in crab meal and NASA's actually done a bunch of research on that, you know, um, as well as all of the organic acids. Um, And our understanding of the organic acids is changing all the time. I mean, you know, we've got a couple of the organic acids at this point, which have been reclassified as actual plant hormones, you know, um, and I think we'll start to see more reclassifications of organic acids as plant hormones and plant growth regulators as time goes on. So, you know, that's pretty much what I've been doing is drowning myself in academic journal articles.
1: Nice. Yeah, I have I, I, I am aware of your website and I did read some of your articles on like um like re, like reverse and engineer your nutrient solutions and, and that kind of oh, stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was that was super interesting. And I'm I'm a soil guy and organic organic guy. Um so I mean I've I've uh boiled my brain reading you know, super try text about.
0: Yeah. Well, organic gets super, super involved. I mean, there are so many like just completely unmapped substances in, uh, in organic soil. It's not even funny, but, um, you know, I do both organic, uh, soil gardening outdoors, and then, um, I do hydroponic gardening indoors. Um, and I, I kind of, um, you know, bridge between the two because I see value in both of them and I see potential problems both um logistically and ethically with both sides of the equation you know um when it comes to the hydro versus soil organic gardening um it's almost like you know arguing politics and here I am just with politics right in the middle with everything I have no opinion on one being better than the other you know they're both useful um you know, my big issue with hydroponic gardening is the DPTA and the um, EDTA that's uh, used to chelate the uh, micronutrients. The stuff's basically like plastic. And then there's also the issue of like nitrogen pollution, you know, and 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 runoff from hydroponic salts and stuff like that. But I mean, if you look at the Dutch, they've got a zero runoff policy, um, you know, and they have for a long time. You know, they have ways of doing things that are a lot more environmentally friendly. And for me personally, I blend my own nutrients, my own hydronutrients. and I don't even use EDTA or DPTA, you know, for a long time, those were used because, um, the only other option was, uh, iron sulfate and that likes to precipitate out really easily. Um, but now, um, There's a company that's name eludes me, but they uh, patented a process of chelating micronutrients with glycine, which is an amino acid. Um, And so I've been doing a lot of experiments with glycine chelated um, micronutrients here as of late. And those are completely environmentally friendly. They're like... um, OMRI certified for the, um, for the production of organic crops and, and whatnot, you know, and I also don't like water to run off, but I did work in a dispensary grow, um, here in the Portland area for all of about two weeks. Um, and those guys, like they had, um, they had 40 plants per flower room and they were over watering two gallons per plant and they had, I think, 10 flower rooms. So that was 800 gallons of runoff every day that they were dumping down the drain, um, and laughing about it, which is why I ended up quitting. Um, I couldn't be a part of that. That's the kind of crap that makes hydro evil.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think there's definitely a place for nutrient salts and, um, you know, and chelated nutrients and all that. I mean, especially at scale, like if you're doing like a 15,000 square foot greenhouse, like there's no way you can do that with just living soil. Like you're going to be potting stuff up. Like it's just impossible. It really is. Um, So, yeah, I mean, uh, there is definitely, you know, use for it. And the the most ethical and efficient way we can do it is is definitely, you
0: know, key. So I don't, I I don't. That's kind uh, of my goal there. You know, make yeah. it more ethical, make it more efficient. I mean, hydro's not going away. Um, and ultimately, hydro was born out of academics for research purposes. You know, the precursor to hydroponics was, um, you know, the uh, nutrient solutions that they would use for experiments. They just weren't able, previous to hydroponics, to grow something to harvest. But hydroponics gives us a way to completely control every single variable so that we can study the specific effect of specific compounds on a plant without all of the compounds that come with organic gardening and soil, you know? Um, So that's, that's one of the big values there. But at the same time, you know, not all crops, you know, should be grown hydroponically and the techniques that they're using in trying to incorporate hydroponic nutrients into outdoor soil grows in a traditional farm setting without anything catching runoff or dealing with any of the uh, environmental ramifications of it. I mean, that crap needs to stop. There's no reason to use hydroponics outdoors.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel like, um, yeah, they each have their use and, and especially outdoors outdoors. I mean, why wouldn't it be, you make, you know, as closed of a system as possible. I know you have to import something from somewhere. Um, but to me, that make you know, it makes so much more sense to, to actually build a system out because that's what you do indoors. You have to build a self-contained system. So why wouldn't you build a system outdoors? It's it just like, I don't know. It, it boggles my mind. It's something that I've been dealing with for like, you know, the past, past 10 years. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, told, I totally agree. I'm, I'm not one of those people who totally knock uh, conventional farming either because, you know, I, I know a lot of conventional farmers and it's, you do it for a reason. It's not because they hate, you know, the land and they're just trying to make money. It's because, well, you know, how, how do you, how do you, how do you do this at scale? Um, you know, and, and that, and that's, a, it's a challenge. It's, it, you know, it always has been. Um, but
0: at the end of the day, we're all trying to figure out how to eat and that's all anybody's doing is trying to figure out how to eat. Yeah. Trying to figure out how to pay their bills.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But, but yeah, it's, it's cool that you're working on stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely would like to, um, maybe on another episode, we could break down some of the nutrient work, uh, some of that that you're doing. Cause I I've, I've been wanting to do like a, a whole, like, soils podcast you know series but um it's i can't sit here for 30 minutes and just just talk talk to myself about soils and hope people will be interested because i can do it but uh
0: yeah yeah no for sure
1: yeah um yeah so um is there anything else you want to talk about
0: oh sh- no man, you know, um, I'm a disabled veteran and I work construction as a day job. Um, so like, you know, I've got a limited amount of time, um, to, uh, you know, like, um, I guess that's a really bad way to put that. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm good, man.
1: <laughs> okay. All right. Well, yeah. uh, cool, cool. Um, any shout outs you want to give, uh, your plugs where people can find you?
0: Shout outs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh shout outs. So um you can find me on Instagram at the official Jared Hayes, also at Springwater Scientific. That's my genetics page. Um, a couple of uh uh shout outs to some of my boys, um Operation underscore A51. Um he's my uh my lead tester for my genetics, and that guy, he's a former vet and um, you know, an absolute brother. If it weren't for him, man, I probably wouldn't have gotten half of the exposure that I've gotten in the last year or so. Um, and then also a very good friend and mentor of mine, Nachos and El Sapo. Um, go check him out. He's got a, a banana OG drop that he just did right now. And the stuff is absolute fire. Go get in on that.
1: Nice. Oh, I usually ask this for all the new interview questions that I, I almost forgot. So I got t- yeah. I got two quick questions for you. The first one, what's your favorite tool or piece of equipment in your in your garden?
0: My favorite tool or piece of equipment in my garden. Um. <laughs> you know, I don't know to be honest, I don't <laughs> use a lot of fancy shit, man. You it, know, no- I mean,
1: it doesn't have to be fancy. Trust me, at all the answers have not been fancy stuff. I think a I've gotten like a digging bucket. fork. Five gallon. There you go. Awesome. That is
0: like probably the most <laughs> used freaking thing in my garden that like I never can find a five-gallon bucket when I need one for whatever freaking reason. Um, but yeah, I don't use a lot of the, like a lot of these guys, they've got all of these freaking fancy toys and gizmos and shit like that, man, half the time I pH my water with droppers, you know? So, and that's, if I bother (laughs) pHing it at all, like, you know, I'm a lazy grower. I try to set stuff up to where I don't have to treat it. Like it's a full-time job all the time, you know, cause I see guys like you that, you know, do this as a full-time job all the time. And like, yeah, it just, you guys make it look a lot like work. It is work. <laughs> Isn't it
1: I, I, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll have to say too, um, uh yeah, so most of the comments for your favorite tool has been like a digging fork. I think like three people said like duct tape. Um <laughs> so it's zip ties it, are another good yeah, one. Zip ties, I think somebody said that too. So like no one here is being like super fancy. We're all farmers and yeah, I just bust my ass all day and my hands are bloody and you know. It, it, yeah. it is, it's work, dude. Um,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> but I love it. So, um, and so and then the second question is uh, a piece of word or, or uh, word. Uh, sorry, um, I just blanked. Okay, so it's either uh one piece of advice or wisdom for all the the growers, farmers, and gardeners out there.
0: Hmm, one piece of advice advice or wisdom for all of those growers out there. Um, Anytime somebody tells you, you can't do something and they don't give you a verifiable scientific reason as to why it won't work, they probably don't know what the hell they're talking about.
1: Good. Yeah, most people don't know what they're talking about. I don't know what I'm I talking have about half the time either. So
0: so many people <laughs> tell me that I couldn't do things that I went ahead and I did. If there is a will, there is a way and it does not take a corporation to grow this freaking plant. It doesn't take a baller setup like I started out using fresh freaking horse shit a 55 gallon drum to, you know, do extracts and some leftover hydroponic soil that I stole from my brother that I then amended and turned into freaking living soil, you know, and I grew it outside for pennies, man. And everybody told me I was crazy and I wouldn't be able to pull it off. And I pulled down something stupid, like 10 pounds, that first harvest, you know, they will constantly tell you you can't or tell you you're crazy or tell you you're full of shit and they will not give you one verifiable reason you know, other than some bro science claim that is unsubstantiated and anecdotal at best.
1: Well, I'm all about the bro science. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, I, I feel you, man. Uh, got a lot of, know, especially with our current culture and social media, everyone, everyone's got an opinion. So, you know, not, I'm all out.
0: about science. I'm all about science. I will revise, you know, my opinions when presented with verifiable conflicting data, you know, um, I try to keep an open mind, you know, but a lot of, a lot of these guys out here, they'll take a kernel of truth and they'll overgeneralize the hell out of it and make it sound like what you're doing is, you know, absolutely horrible and going to be the end of your plants. And it's simply not true. These are resilient plants and they eat byproducts. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yep yep and all for for all those auto haters out there just just look at uh my feed or jared's feed and uh you'll see that autos don't suck so
0: yeah they can though <laughs> they can if you suck yeah. at growing it's true
1: um but yeah i don't know if you did you drop your instagram and your website and all that
0: uh yeah yeah the website um that's out of uh Out of operation for a while. But yeah, Springwater okay. Scientific on Instagram and the official Jared Hayes. All right. It was good talking
1: with you. Yeah,
0: you too, man. All
1: right. Well, that's it for this episode. I'd like to thank Jared for coming on again. As always, you can find me on Instagram at Focus Seeds. You can shoot me an email at Focus Seeds at ProtonMail.com or check out my website, FocusSeeds.com. Focus is spelled P H O. DAS happy ground